I've been absent from you from, for two weeks up in Northern California. Goodness, I miss you on the weekends. I just want to be home. I just want to be home, and I'm so grateful for a, a full staff and, of colleagues here at this church. I've been listening to what's happened since I've been gone. Just last Sabbath, just last Sabbath, all was perfect in the garden. God, heavens, earth, water, land, creatures in, in the sky and in the water and on the dry land, shrubs and trees and fruit hanging everywhere. Adam and Eve and Sabbath, just last week, everything was perfect in the garden. There was companionship and responsibility and work and rest and play and food and sex. And you're all listening now. <laughs> there was companionship and responsibility and work and rest and play and food and sex, all a, a gift from the divine God. Everything perfect in the garden with a perfect future in front of them. That was one week ago. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, You may eat from the fruit, the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not. You cannot eat from the fruit, the tree in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband and he was with her and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves they sewed them together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman that you put with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate of it. And right now in the story, I bet Adam and Eve wish they could also turn the clock back. In fact, I have imagined several times this week what was happening in their mind at just that point in the story. They obviously have some internal compass. They know something is wrong. They have some awareness that it needs to be solved. And our clue is because they begin blaming and finding who's at fault. Oh, that Adam and Eve could also turn the story back. Just one notch. But they can't, and this is what God says to them. Verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity, which is hate, 
between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will now eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are to dust you returned. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the mountain out and placed him on the east side of the Garden of Eden put cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The creation God caused to be, God now lets be in this story. There is no coercion. God will not force the creation to do anything. If the creation wants to say no, like a little toddler who's just learning how to form the words... The humans can do that. If they want to say no with the well-reasoned maturity of adults, they can do that. The creation God caused to be, God lets be. But right here in the story, all of our most ultimate questions in life just pour out. Well, where did this idea of evil originate? And can a good creator create that potential? Did it originate in Adam and Eve before this problem with the apple? Did the serpent bring it into the garden? Then why bring the serpent into the garden at all? How could you create, God, such a potential, such a lethal potential? Well, why not just stop now? You only have two humans. Stop now, start again. Get a fresh start. Why give the humans this choice if if this is what they'll do with it? Why allow the story to go this way? And, And the text doesn't answer most of these questions. In fact, we learned that if you've been with us for a few weeks from Genesis 1 and 2, the text doesn't always answer the questions we bring to it. But almost abruptly, the story continues, and I think we ought to read it that way. Genesis 4 ought to be read right up against Genesis 3 as a continuation, as a matter of fact. When sin is unleashed in the world, it looks like Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man, Cain, whose name means to create. And she celebrated that birth, you notice there. Later she gave birth to his brother named Abel, Abel's name, which means vaporless. Nothing. Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. 
Then the Lord said to him, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. The Lord came to Cain and said, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, Cain replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to Abel, My punishment is it's more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer of the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, No, not so. If anyone finds Cain, he will suffer vengeance and at seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence, and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Whatever God caused to be, God lets be. And our list of questions go on and on. Was there favoritism there? God was showing between the two brothers and their sacrifice. What was so inferior about the one sacrifice? Where did Cain's emotions come from so strongly? How did he know he could kill? How did he even attempt to do that? And again, what kind of a creator creates that potential? Lethal. And then tells the human to master that force. This is now life east of Eden. How far we fall so quickly. Almost without warning. Every summer I put a box out in the lobby, except for this past summer. The other summer since I've been with you, we put a box out there as we're thinking about sermon series for the rest of the year. And we ask you, what, what would you like to hear about? What do you think we need to talk about from up front? Always at least one person will fill out the paperwork and say, we need to talk about sin. We need to talk about sin's sneaky ability to consume us. We need to talk about sin's potential to corrupt everything. We need to talk about sin and its finality. And someone always writes, please preach about sin. We need to hear it. I suppose this is that sermon. But I want to tell you what a challenging topic to discuss in fact, of all the sermons in this series between the guys and I, on this topic I have more handwritten notes than any one of the other sermons. And it took me more time to get to it and to condense it. And I think that's because this is a topic difficult to talk about. We would rather talk about little boys who throw plates and get in trouble and little boys with swimming trucks, trunks and temptation and little boys who steal cookies. And did you notice how they're all little boys, by the way? I asked Kathy for service, how did that happen? Because I know little girls get in trouble. I've been one. 
If you look in preaching journals, in fact, there is such a collection of these kinds of temptation and, and urge to, to, to obey kinds of stories and the, our temptation not to obey, full of those kinds of cute little boy stories. The one story of a little boy caught riding his tricycle around the block, around the block, around the block until the police officer came and said, why do you keep going around the same block? And the little boy said, I'm, I'm trying to run away from home. And the police officer said, well, this isn't going to do it. Why do you keep circling the same block? Because my mommy told me not to cross the street. <laughs> right? And it is so much easier to talk about these cute little temptation stories. In fact, I even told Kathy, we should use the cookie video because it helps us get to the topic we're so uncomfortable with. We'd rather talk about the little things and then just extrapolate out to the overwhelming problem sin is in our lives. Who wants to talk about sin? What happened in the story of beginnings, the Bible says, is that the humans had a desire for knowledge of good and evil. I think a good way to understand that is they had a desire for the experience. It's a good translation there, knowledge, experience. They had a desire for the experience of things that weren't supposed to be for them. And now, not only have they experienced good, but they have a full experience of evil. Before, it was just an idea. God said, don't do this or you'll die. Before, it was a concept, sin and evil, which, by the way, rarely gets defined in the Bible, but usually gets described. Before, it was just an idea. Now, it's very personal as it's set into the lives of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. The Bible shows us what sin looks like. There is now domination instead of dominion. There are are experiences of conquest and rule. There's someone weaker and someone stronger. There's a victim and a perpetrator. There's the perfect equality between the genders is now jarred. And my, do we fight that today. There are victims. Words like ravished, plowed, plundered apply to creation and to people. Where there was power with, there's now power over. And the vertical relationship demolished. The horizontal relationship demolished. Humanity, creation, everyone cries out, this is sin. Brian McLaren describes it this way with current examples. If life is a machine, sin is the bad gear that makes the machine malfunction. If life is a kingdom, sin are the terrorist movements in the kingdom. If life is a family, sin is the feud between family members. If life is a body, sin, it's that untreated disease that poisons the whole system. If life is a river, sin is mercury or arsenic that pollutes it. If life is a garden, Sin is the army of slugs that eat your vegetables. If life is a computer, sin is the virus that destroys your hard drive. And into our story of origins, our story of beginning, we now add the first experience of sin. Now, I am resisting to do what so much of Christian tradition has done. I'm resisting the urge to moralize Murder is wrong, sin is wrong, don't do it. I am resisting the urge to summarize, obey God or you'll get in trouble. 
I'm resisting the urge to sort of systematize things, God, humans, sin, salvation, heaven. Resisting the urge to theologize, God is God, we are not. Get used to it. Rather, I would prefer we let these stories sit side by side, Adam and Eve and the serpent, Cain and Abel, fall on your ears and on your heart, and let the Spirit speak the truth to you that you need to hear. What is that truth? Someone this morning needs to hear how humans deny their involvement, how easy it is for humans to deny our involvement. It's a pretty good example when God comes to Adam and Adam says, the woman you gave me, and Eve says, the serpent, and Cain says, am I and my brother's keeper? And keep reading in the Bible, Jacob and Joseph will all also do this. We look around and try and find the person on whom the blame can be assi- to whom the blame can be assigned. That's a pretty good indication. We're in denial about our part of the human predicament. Someone here this morning needs to hear that the ease with which humans deny their involvement is a problem. Someone needs to hear that deceit and envy usually precede temptation. Temptation doesn't come from nowhere. It's usually preceded by something, something that creeps in, sends us a little message that somehow we deserve more. We are entitled to something else. And when you feel that inside of you, you can be sure temptation will probably follow. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Someone needs to hear that we're obligated to each other. We've been saying that for six weeks. We're obligated to each other. But now we see that we are obligated so dramatically that when we harm a brother or a sister, we also harm God. God now walks around in this story fractured, hurt, because of what's happened to Abel. Someone needs to hear this morning how quickly Cain is ruled over. Did you hear the warning? God said to Cain, you should rule over it or it will rule over you. And how quickly this ruled over Cain, this this force which is sin. We often say, and I think it's easy for us to sort of organize it this way, that sin we reduce to a list of rules, things right and wrong. And if we have a list or some idea like that, it's easy for us to move around our world and try and be obedient. But the text says sin is less like a rule. It's more like a ferocious beast crouching outside your door, a predator waiting to lunge and attack and consume. And and when it does, it will consume all parties involved. Did you hear that in the text? Sin is like a force of nature. I watched this week, early in the week, you know, the windy days on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, They were blowing 40, 50, 60 miles an hour where we live, and I was driving by one of the shopping plazas, and here's a little man with his his motorized leaf blower out in the parking lot. (laughs) And the wind is coming at him, and he's standing there with his leaf blower. And I watched and watched and thought, surely he's going to stop. What good can he do? And sin is more like that, the force of those 60-mile-an-hour winds that just knock you off your feet, just waiting to pounce on you, the text says. Some of us here this morning need to understand sin is less like a rule we broke. It's much more like a force that wants to consume Someone needs to hear that worship 
is a gift from the heart. The only clue we have in the passage about the difference in the sacrifices between Abel and Cain is one little adjective. Abel brings, or Cain brings fruits from his field. Abel brings the firstborn from his flock. As if to say, Cain brings the leftovers, whatever he can get his hands on. Cain brings, or Abel brings, I'm sorry, that which is prime and precious and first, most valued. For Israel, just as for us, worship has never been a, a rote practice God asks for. God always asks for the heart of the worshiper. Someone here this morning needs to hear worship is a gift from the heart, that God longs for a heart sacrifice. Someone needs to hear this morning the invitation in the passage to give up anger, to give up fear, to choose reconciliation. Did you hear that? Chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Jesus said it a little different way in the New Testament. You've heard it said in Matthew 5, but I say to you, you've heard it said that murder is illegal, but I say to you, even if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you'll be judged. In Matthew 5, Jesus goes on to say, therefore, if you're offering your gift at an altar, and there's, you remember you have a brother that has something against you, leave your gift right there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Someone this morning needs to hear that God says reconciliation is a successful option. Lay down our fear and our anger. Let the story fall on your ears and your heart this morning. What is the Spirit speaking to you? What do you hear about the presence of sin in your life? The presence of sin in our community, the presence of sin in our world. But before we stop this morning, everyone needs to hear this one little note so often overlooked when Cain said, I can't bear the punishment. I'll be a wanderer forever. Someone's going to kill me. And Jesus says, or God says to Cain, no, no. The Lord said, if anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who anyone who found him would know who Cain was, and they wouldn't kill him. Everyone here today needs to know that when Cain is sent away, Cain goes with a mark from God. And that mark from God has two sides on it. The mark bears shame, but, but it also bear, bears protection and shelter. The mark reveals, it reveals his guilt, but it also reveals grace from God. The mark, it shows wrong, but it also shows that Cain is redeemed. Everyone needs to leave knowing that, that, that when Cain leaves the presence of God, the God, the creator, also moves east of Eden and a little further east of Eden. Show me another creation story where the creator, when he, he ends up with a mess on his hands like this, decides that the creator will stay with this creation. Show me another creation story that's like that. You will not find that. And that's why everyone needs to know that when Cain is sent to wander, there's a 
tear-stained-faced God who is also fractured in the world, who puts a mark on Cain and follows Cain east of Eden. Everyone needs to know that. This is the story of the generations of the heavens and the earth when the Lord God created them, the earth and the heavens. This is the story of a creator who will not, who cannot be separated from creation. Amen. Be dismissed today with this God whose unfailing arms are around you. The Apostle Paul says it this way, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that exists in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.